Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as a comeback coach. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. They say never meet your heroes. That's bullshit. Tom is one of my favorite people. He's an author, coach, speaker. He is the Yoda, the Yoda of high <laughs> ticket sales and motivation. So Tom, my brother, welcome to the show. Richard, thanks for having me, man. It's great to be here. Let's, let's I love it, this, and, man. Yeah. And by the way, your IG is fire. I was on it for about five hours a day. I <laughs> loved it. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. You got bit. it. You got but it. My first question is, uh, I have a traumatic brain injury, so if I don't ask the question, I will forget it. What is your definition of resiliency? Oh, man. Um, I feel like that's all I've known. So, um, you know, just as simple as I could put it, you know, will you continue to choose to get back up? Right. Like there's the old proverb, you know, get, what is it? Get knocked down seven times, stand up eight. Right. So I think mm -hmm. it's just that, that, uh, drive and commitment to keep bouncing back. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about in our community is, you know, winners find a way to win and you find a way to stay alive. You find a way to finish the job. You find a way to make shit happen. And um, so that that's, I guess, my uh, off the top of my head definition for you, man. Just keep getting. I up. love it. Find so now, you know, if somebody would see you now, mm -hmm. you know, they would see how, you know, how well, you know, how you're doing in life. You got a great family. You have a great business. You can actually do a plank for like 21 minutes. Um, it hasn't always been that way. You've had your ups and your downs and your struggles. So give yeah. us a little bit, a quick down and dirty about who you are, where you come from, your military service, and how you became the force mm -hmm. that you are today. Yeah, so I grew up in um, Wheaton, Illinois, about an hour west of Chicago. Um, the only thing that got me through high school or through school was football. I, I had to stay eligible to play ball. and um, that meant the world to me. I grew up in a super blue collar home, uh, divided family. Parents were divided, divorced when I was like six months old. And, um, you know, I, I, I literally grew up on like the poorer side of the tracks in Wheaton. Um, my, my friends had, you know, what I thought at the time, you know, all the rich, wealthy doctor, lawyer, parents, engineers, and stuff. My dad worked in the trades and um, we just had a very different lifestyle, but it, it is what it is and it forms you. Right. So, um, tried college for a minute. Wasn't for me. I quit before they were going to kick me out <laughs> and, uh, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, and I was in from 88 to 92 desert storm guy, uh, you know, 311 infantry, um, great experience. Yeah, that's right, man. You know, it's, as uh, um, you know, but we, um, you know, I was fortunate that my youth football coach and my high school football coach were both Marines. And so, you know, it was just kind of like a way of life when I got there, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of guys go in and it's a total culture shock for them, but I've been hearing that sort of intensity and, you know, language and those types of things since I was a little kid and it felt like home. And uh, I got out because I, um, believe it or not, I, I was going to be a rock star. I played drums and I was, playing and I had a buddy in the core who was a phenomenal guitar player. And we were like, let's get out and be rock stars. And that obviously didn't work out. Ended up painting, working for my uncle, you know, which I did growing up on and off. 
as a kid. Um, and then a few years later, ended up starting my own painting company. You know, we built that to doing, you know, over 300 projects a year. And I uh, sold my half of that in 2012. Somebody tapped me on the shoulder, asked me to speak in an event about how to grow a business. And uh, that kind of lit the, the fuse for me, so to speak, for what I'm doing now. And uh, fast forward a number of years, I have a company called The Contractor Fight. Uh, and we, um, we truly, you know, our vision is to create, is, is to make the trades, make construction a place that's no longer a fallback option for people, to make it attractive. And, um, and we do that really in three ways. It's called The Contractor Fight because of the fight between your ears you know, and uh, we all have that negative self-talk and our different definitions of our own value and what we bring to the table and head trash and this and that. And you got to fight through that, as you well know. And um, you know, you got speaking of resilience, right? And so we, uh, we have a pretty different approach. We talk about how success uh, is an inside-out game. You know, a lot of people have it backwards. You put your business first and everything else gets the scraps here in the fight, you know, the way we accomplish our, our, our vision is we, we talk about building a strong you and then a strong home and then uh, build a fat wallet. <laughs> so that's kind of the order that, that we approach things. All right. So let's, you know, hop back. As I see, I'm writing things down because yeah. some stuff you talk, I love to talk about. First of all, you come from Illinois and back 85, 86, the bears were the shit. And yeah. they were the, the toughest team mentally and physically. I mean, there was nobody stronger than Walter Payton. Mm -hmm. So who was your, when you were playing football, who were some of the guys you looked up to? Oh, well, of course, Walter Payton. I, I, uh, I met him my sophomore year in high school. I got to shake his hand and, and I uh, was like trying to shake hands with a cinder block. His hand was so strong, you know, and um, you know, Walter Payton and, you know, uh, love Mike Singletary and Otis Wilson, you know, all those bears and stuff. I mean, that, that whole, that whole team was just stacked. And, and I think what made them great is the swagger they had, you know, they, they had the talent, but they really, they really, you know, back to the fight between your ears, they really believed that, that they deserved to win the title. And, um, you know, they had their issues. They were a wild bunch of guys, but, uh, you know, I, I love Jim McMahon cause he was not the most talented quarterback in the world in fact he was average as a QB but his his confidence as a leader I think was super contagious and the way he'd lay it out there for his teammates they respected that so and that and I think that's a great example of anyone who's a leader like you know if you show up and you're willing to go out there and go balls out right you know you're you're more likely to rally the guys behind you and um and and they're more likely to buy into the vision and the dream that you have okay so now I because I gotta know because I'm the world's worst guitar player. Um, I think I'm more of a collector, a collector than I am a player, according to my wife. But I like to play around. So who were some of your influences as a drummer? Mm. Oh, that's easy. John Bonham, Zeppelin, Stuart Copeland, The Police, Neil Peart, uh, Manu Kache, Greg Bissonette. I mean, I can go on for days. You know, Vinnie Kaliuta. You know, so I, I played uh, – I actually played – um, in several bands, I did some studio work. There was a point in time I was probably gigging five, six nights a week. Um, and I'd be lugging my drum set up three flights of stairs at three in the morning after a gig and get up at, and be at work by seven and, uh, you know, working for my uncle back in the day. So th those were good times, man. But yeah, I could, 
you know, I'm actually a frustrated bass player because if I could choose, my dad played drums, my uncle plays drums, cousins play drums. Um, I always wanted to play bass, but I never put in the work to get good. Uh, I just think bass is such a cool instrument. It's funky and slappy and melodic all at the same time. And, the, and you know, it's not as heavy to lug around. So, so when you were, when you were watching the David Lee Roth band with Greg Bistonet, yeah, they had an amazing bass player at the same time, right? Yeah, it was hold on. It was that Stu Ham, was it Billy Stu? Sheehan? Yeah, Billy, Billy Sheehan. That's right. Stu Ham's been around the block. Matt Bissonette's also a bass player. Greg's yeah. brother. Yeah. So Billy Sheehan's phenomenal, and um, you know, guys like um, what's his name, Victor Wooten. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, it, it's crazy, man. You know, the, the the talent that's out there. So, all right, let's get into your military service a little bit because I love my Marines. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love your mindset that once a Marine, always a Marine. There's no such thing as an ex-Marine. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell my son that one day. I'm like, you don't ever call anybody an ex-Marine. Yeah. So, But also that you guys have the best uniforms ever, hands down, <laughs> end of story. So did you take to the Marines very quickly? Was that something that you really loved? Yeah, man, I, I ate it up. I think um, let's, let's, let's go even bigger picture here. Like the Marine Corps, I believe, has got to be the best marketing agency on planet Earth. You know, um, just, just the, whole, the whole few thing, right? Not everyone can make it type things, you know, right out of the gate. They're like, this is not for everyone, you know? And then, like you said, you know, the, the dress blues, which we called the panty droppers, you know um, you know, it's just, just such a, the, the swagger. There's a mysteriousness to the core. Um, it, it's funny. I've, I've gone to events, walked in rooms and people have come up to me and they've said, you're in the, you're, you're Marine Corps, right? <laughs> and I'm like, how do you know? And you go, you guys have this, you have this, um, this walk about you you know, or this air or this attitude. And, and so all those things kind of drew me to that. Um, what's funny, man, is I was such a bad student with spelling and, and, uh, you know, reading and all these different things, which is funny because I read a book a week now, but dude, I gave a speech at my freshman or I think it was my freshman year in high school on the Marine Corps. And I was, I was, I had no plans at the time to go in. I just needed to do a speech on something. I give this speech on the Marine Corps and I pronounced it Marine Corps the whole time through the speech. I totally, I butchered it. It was so funny now that I look back, but yeah, you know, so I went in um, and uh, you know, I tried college for a minute and I, I'm like, I'm done not going there. I'm my dad. This is back when they could take you to the gate. So, you know, before all the security stuff and I, and at the time, and I, I'm pretty sure it's the same way. Now the, the honor grad gets the dress blues at graduation. That's who gets to wear dress blues. And I was like, there's no way I'm not going to be the guy in the dress blues. Like that was just my, my whole mindset around it. And I remember turning around, <clears throat> say goodbye to my dad. I'm walking towards the, the gate or the ramp and I turned around and I pointed at him and I took a couple steps back and just, it was really weird when I think about it. Um, I just go, the next time you see me, I'll be in blues. And I turned around and walked away. 
And um, that was probably the really the first time that I think it wasn't intentional, but I actually um, visualized a future for myself and I went and got it. You know, that whole visualization and see the future you want. And that yeah. that was, uh, you know, so fast forward three months or so. And, you know, I was I was the honor grad and and then there was a period of time later on, you know, meritorious promotions and stuff like that. I was Marina the quarter and blah, blah, blah on our base. And, um, you know, I, I loved it. You know, I loved the core. Um, my biggest regret, I did a, um, a YouTube video on this recently or probably a few months ago now. Um, my biggest regret is I did not achieve the one goal I had set out to achieve as a Marine. And that was to, to be part of force recon. Um, and what I talked about in this video is that I didn't put the work in to deserve it. I could run for days. I could shoot. I could do everything. I'm terrible in the water. And, um, and I didn't get, I thought I could wing it. You know what I mean? Like when you're, you know, I used to coach high school football for 17 years as well. So you have a guy that's fast, he's talented. He doesn't think he has to work that hard because he could get by on talent. I just figured I could, you know, I could handle the swim stuff. And so I didn't work at it. I didn't put the reps in. I didn't get coaching. I didn't get help. And, uh, and I didn't make it, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, that was, that was the one thing that really shot me down for making that. And for many years, that was a big source of insecurity for me. I'm like, I didn't accomplish the one thing that I wanted to accomplish when I went into the core, but it's actually turned out to be um, a huge blessing in a lot of ways. I wouldn't have my wife now. I wouldn't have my, the kids I have. I wouldn't have the business. I wouldn't be impacting the world like I am now had I made it because it would have been a totally different course. And the other, and probably the biggest lessons that taught me, um, you know, if you want something, you got to you really got to put the work in. You can't rely on your talent alone. You know, there's a lot of guys that are talented. You know that you've been, you, you, you've been in, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of talent and, and whether it's business, sports, sales, the military. Um, and so it taught me a lot about what it takes to move to elite status in something and really um, be more disciplined and committed to the goals that you have. So overall it was a good thing, but it was a really rough ride there for a bit. Now I, on our show, I think you're like my 1100 guests. We've had, you know, Delta, we've had, you know, uh, Navy SEALs, John mm -hmm. McCaskill, Rich Devaney. And something that they said, they said a lot of guys would go to selection and they would look like the perfect physical beast. Mm -hmm. And they're like the first one to ring the bell. 100%. Because, because yeah. you know, a lot of the guys like like Devaney and, and they said, well, the difference between me and him is I wasn't going to quit. You, mm -hmm. I, you'd have to pull me out of the water, drowning because I'm going to be dead yep. or I'm going to finish this. So I think the core is like a core is like that a lot is that the guys that succeed in the core or graduate from the core are the, are the guys and the girls that have the mindset. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to quit. You're going to have to kill me first before I quit. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, bottom line is I didn't make the cut, you know, and I learned lessons and, you know, I have a, a lot of good friends that are, you know, on the teams and different units and things like that, that, that I'm close with. And it's, and there's a part of me, you know, like, listen, man, there's a part of me every now and then when I hang out with them, like, I'm like, Oh, I'm not one of them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and it's, um, but you know, I, um, this is like way out of left field, man. But like what I determined a few years ago, um, 
was that I am no longer interested in waiting around to be invited to the table, if that makes sense. So I built my, so I built my, so I decided to build my own table. Right. And so, um, and is that's, you know, control the controllables. I have no control over what happened 35 years ago or whatever it was now. And, um, God, that long ago? Oh my lord! Um, well, you know, like, well, you like, our, that, you know like our friend, you know Ed Milet. Mm-hmm. I actually, he actually had wanted me to fly down and hang out with him three weeks before I lost eighty percent of my vision and I couldn't go. Mm. But I got on the phone with him and he said, "You know what, Rich?" He said, "Things don't happen to you; they happen for, for you. you." Yep. And everything is a teachable moment, so you wouldn't be at this position if you would have took that road. Hundred percent, yeah, and and you know I I, I think um, a lot of the uh, damn it, man, you're making me go somewhere I didn't plan on going. All right, so so you didn't even ask that's, a question, you got me going there. That's so, why they call, that's why they call me the GI Joe Rogan. That's right, man. <laughs> so I um I'm fifty four. And not even a year ago, I came to this realization of why I pursued some of the things I've pursued in my life, why it bothered me so much that I didn't, you know, make the cut, um, those types of things. And, and I'll quick story. When I was nine years old, there was a kid named Doug in our neighborhood. Doug and I used to be really good friends. And then one day we weren't friends, right? Just, I don't know, you know, your kids and shit happens. And so uh, Doug challenged me to meet at a place called Churchill and fight. <laughs> and, um, and I didn't go. And he challenged, he kept inviting me to go and inviting me to go. And my dad, you know, my dad's all, he was a seal coat paving guy. He's all tatted up before tats were cool, you know, um, you know, your typical blue collar bar after work guy grew up his whole life fighting, you know, that sort of dude. Right. And, um, he, um, um, caught wind that Doug wanted to fight me and that I was blowing it off and I wasn't going. And, um, so he threw me in the car, drove me to Churchill told me to get out and fight. And, um, and he sat there and, a, and he smoked a cigarette while I got my ass kicked. And I, and this is some deep shit that I've worked through with my buddy. who's my therapist guy and stuff, you know, and, um, and what I really realized is, you know, I joined the core at some level. I wanted to go force for, at some level because I was ashamed of the nine-year-old kid that got his ass kicked that didn't have what it takes. You know, and I think sometimes throughout my life, I've, I've tried to put on more of a macho front than I really am because of that insecurity, if that makes sense. And, um, you know, and it was less than a year ago that I broke down at this restaurant with my buddy. And I'm like, I have been trying to please. I, I've been I've been ashamed of this nine year old kid for all these years. And I've been trying to please a dad that I don't even respect for multiple reasons, you know? And so just, I think, um, that's, I think why it was so hard on me that I didn't make it originally, um, is because I, I never, and it's part of what I've also realized, man, you know, shit happens for you. Um, 
this is also what drives me to do what I do. That's why I coach. That's why we put on our events. That's why we, you know, we, we coach people from the inside out and understand it's more than just a business, right? It's, it's uh, being a better person is I don't want like, dude, our brand promise in the contractor fight, we call it fanatical attention, meaning we bust our asses to help you win right? From a coaching team perspective, everything we do, like we're all in with the people that we work with, unlike any other company. And I really believe that's because I don't want anyone to ever be unprepared and get their butt kicked like I did. I So it's like this real deep stuff, man, that like I'm trying to, um, you know, pour out in like three to five minutes here for you. But it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of driving forces. And I think, um, you know, I, I used to, um, I used to really hate my upbringing. I used to hate that I was from a divided home. I used to hate that I wasn't like all the other kids in our neighborhood whose parents were together and they made money. And now I look back and I'm grateful for it because it made me who I am. I said to my wife last night, I said, I feel like 54, I'm finally to a point in my life where I'm like totally cool with who I am. I love it. And that, that, that story touches my heart because when you read my book, um, which Guys, before we before we get into further, I just want to talk about our sponsors. Guys, as you know, I wrote a book. It's a two-time best-selling book, um, and 100% of the proceeds go to help veterans struggling with homelessness and PTSD. I don't make any money off the T-shirts, hats, coffee, anything I do. So if you want to get involved and help help us save over two million veterans this year, check out check out our verticalmenandpodcast.com. And also, guys, if you if you're ever in Jersey, if you love it homemade Italian food, check our friends out. And if you need your car fixed, check out the link below. I'm going to drop on my cousin, Andrea, but let me, you know, let me talk to you because, you know, we all have a shelf life. Yeah. No matter what job you take, you never hear, you never see 80 year old football players, Mm -hmm. you know, but when we get in the military, we don't think that we have a shelf life until one day we have to hang up that uniform. And for me, I got hurt on duty, lost 83% of my vision. And that was the day that I attempted suicide, but thank God I didn't go through with it. But a lot of us, whether it's four years, 20 years, you know, when we, when we get out, we think the world's going to open up to us. Um, The world's going to be at our feet. But like my friend, Sergeant Nick talks about when you step off base, military doesn't give a shit about you. Uh -uh. Your phone stops ringing. You don't have money coming in and you're missing and you miss the camaraderie. So what was your transitioning like when you got out? Very similar. <laughs> uh, I luckily had a band that I was playing in. So I had some relationships right away. And I had, you know, my dad traveled around doing construction projects. And, and I was still in California at the time. And whenever he was out there, I'd jump on with his crew and I'd make some money. And um, But dude, I got, I got heavy into drinking and partying because that's where the camaraderie was, right? It was at the bar. Um, That's what I grew up doing, you know, watching my dad do. And this is not meant to be like this Tom's ripping on his dad for an hour here today. This is just say, this is just my reality, right? I grew up Mm -hmm. since I was a tiny little kid in bars, the old ladies with the hairy moles would hand me quarters to go play pinball, you know, and you know, that was it. And so it was, it was the VFW. It was, you know, other places in town and, so I just defaulted to what I knew. And um, uh, the other part of the transition was, um, which we really haven't gotten into, is I 
Um, I spent two years in special ed in grade school and riding literally the short bus. <laughs> okay. And so that, um, and that really messed with me for many, many, many years because I, I fundamentally didn't think I was a smart person. I thought I was stupid. Um, I thought they put me in those classes cause I was stupid and, you know, 20 years, 30 years after I was in those classes, my mother finally tells me, no, they put you in there because you learn things so quickly and then you'd get bored and disrupt the class. And they Oh my God, you're, you're telling my story. Yeah. And yes. so, so I was walking around with this ball and chain for three decades going, I'm stupid. So I wouldn't try in school. I wouldn't mm -hmm. try intellectually. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even share my opinion or my feelings with other people that I would just stuff it because I didn't trust myself to be smart enough. So like, so that's why it was very easy for me to get out of the core and just hit the party life and just settle for my lot in life, if you want to call it that. And, um, you know, then I ended up, uh, <laughs> you know, I've always been a team guy, man. You know, the football team was great for me. The Marine Corps was great for me. Um, somewhere around, I think it was 1994 ish, five ish, five, probably 95. Um, my now, my, my ex-wife uh, and I, we joined a church and I ended up working in ministry for almost 10 years. And it was a community. It was a tight community. Right. Um, and it gave me some purpose. So I, my whole life, man, I've just been skipping around, trying to have an impact in the world, trying to have some purpose, want to be part of a team. Um, and it's, it's funny now when you look back and you connect the dots, right. To your life. And I can look back now and every one of these experiences, every one of these things I was chasing was designed to prepare me to create the contractor fight because the strength of this company is our community. I mean, dude, we have people and this, this is not a sales pitch. This is not like, I think, I think you're an idiot if you're not, if you're in the trades and you're not part of it. Okay. And you could be part of it and it, there's a free part of it too. So I'm just saying like, but inside our, our closest community, um, dude, we're, we're saving marriages. Like we're giving people true friendships. Um, I can't tell you how many, probably about a third of our membership are veterans, you know, that we're, are looking for that, that place where you can kind of be part of a team. You can achieve big goals. You, you, you got to have some thick skin, right? And you can tell each other the truth and, but you're also there to lean on each other and have each other's like, it's just, it's a place where, you know, our, like for example, our spouses, our, our events, spouses, spouses are half price at our events because we want your family to be part of this. Right. Um, so it's just funny when I look back and connect all the dots, everything I've gone through, everything I've tried to do, tried to be has all come to fruition here over the last eight or nine years, whatever it's been. Now, what I'm noticing, because I went to a trade school, but obviously I didn't even graduate ninth grade. So I, I didn't mm -hmm. pick up any trades, but I tell anybody that I talk to, if they're young kids, I'm like, you should go to school to get a trade because if you, here in New Jersey, if you try to get an electrician or a plumber on a Saturday to come to your house, you might as well mortgage the house because they're yeah. not coming for anything less than three to 500 bucks. But I see everybody going into IT 
I see everybody going into computer science, but I'm not seeing many people going into the trades or is that just something that I'm not seeing? No, you're absolutely right. And, um, and, and here's why I, I, we're about the same age. Do you yeah. ever remember a time where they weren't pushing college? Like if you don't go to college, you're a loser. You know what I mean? Like all the good paying jobs and the money yeah. people with degrees, like as far as I can remember, you know, and I just, so I just think culturally and societally, we, we don't do a good job of highlighting the benefits of going into the trades. Um, and there's tons of money to be made in the trades, man. You know, I, I, I was on a board of a bank for a number of years, believe it or not. And I saw more contractor millionaires than quote unquote white collar millionaires and society you know, the, you know, the whole college thing's a game. I think it's a racket, you know, like, Hey, listen, I want my brain surgeon to go to college. Right. But other than that, you know, I don't think it's that damn important. So I'm obviously biased because I hate school to begin with, but I love to learn. I hate school, but here's the other thing. Um, and you mentioned you've been watching some of our content stuff, so you might have seen a lot this. of your content. I, so if, your, if your views have gone up, yeah. it's all because of me. <laughs> So, hey, real quick, I sent you a message in the chat. I don't know if you can see, maybe move closer because like you're disappearing from the screen. Yeah, my my computer's messing up. Maybe whatever you got going on in Colorado is messing up over here. So I don't know what's going on. We'll figure it out. You keep talking, brother. We'll figure it out. So now what were you saying? Go ahead. So what were you saying? Did I miss you up? I think you froze. My back? Yep, you're back. We all froze. Right. It's all right. Sorry about that. I was saying move up, move a little closer or something because you're kind of disappearing. Yeah, I don't know I what it is. Yeah. Something's yeah, going maybe, on with the internet. Or maybe it's just on my end. But but anyway, um, so if you if you viewed my content, you know I'm also very very hard on the contracting community, right? Um, one of the reasons, in fact, what I think the biggest reasons that more people don't go into the trades, pursue the construction industry, blah blah blah, is because contractors as a group are famous for friendly fire in their own life. Okay. They don't communicate well. They don't become a student of the business. You know, they think it's about the tools and about the craft when it's about the experience, it's communication. They don't, uh, they don't invest in themselves to get mentored and learn how to market and learn how to do things, learn the math of business. And so a lot of the problems that make going into the trades not attractive are our own fault, the people in the trades. And so that's why we talk a lot about it. At the beginning, I said, we were kind of an inside out thing. We talk strong you, strong home, fat wallet, right? Strong you means will you honor the commitments that you make to yourself and get up when your alarm goes off and move your body, read a book. You know, are you home for, for, for dinner at five o'clock or six o'clock when you said you would, okay? Or are you like everyone else who's breaking promises to their spouse and you wonder why your spouse doesn't support the business anymore? Like there's all these things that we have control of. So nobody in the world more than us in our space talks about developing a strong you being the example, being somebody who is attractive to the world where kids coming up are going, man, I want to have a life like that. 
but sadly, most contractors are fat, out of shape, they drink too much, their marriages suck, and they have no money. That's the average contractor in America right now. And so that's why our vision is to create a world where the trades are no longer a fallback option, but it's something that's attractive where people go, damn, I want that life. I want a marriage like that. I want a bank account like that. I want a body like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm hard on our community. Um, culture as a whole hasn't done their, helped us a whole lot, but we haven't helped ourselves much either. All right, because the only reason I'm asking because I have a lot of friends that are contractors and there's two that I can think of right now they pretty much have the same exact physical skill, but one is working in Alpine, which here it's the homes are worth like one and a half to $3 million each. Mm -hmm. Then the other one is working there at Patterson where the houses are like five, like $50,000 each. It's having mm -hmm. the same amount of skills doing the same amount of hours of work, but one is, has their own boat, has their own yacht. The other mm -hmm. one is, is barely making her ends meet. So what is the difference between a high ticket achiever and a low mm -hmm. ticket achiever? Well, to, to specifically know what's going on between those two, I'd have to know what their goals are and what their business model is, right? Some people have a business model where they're going after the average everyday home, you know, and some, you know, just because somebody's going after the higher dollar homes to work in doesn't necessarily mean they're making a lot of money. I know a lot of guys are working homes like that that are broke. So what it's going to come down to, the success is going to come down to how do you, you know, how are you positioning yourself in the marketplace? How are you building your brand? Like if I say Walmart and I say BMW, you think two different things, right? So yeah. if, I, if, if I say, a, you know, um, a Dodge Dart and a Mercedes, they're two very different vehicles that have been positioned to, you know, serve a particular type of clientele. Where a lot of people go wrong is they they go, oh, I want to work in high, high-end homes, thinking the money's just gonna come. When in reality, the success that your one friend is having is probably, without knowing anything, built around three things. One is he's got confidence in his numbers, he knows his math. Number two, he's got a great sales process. And number three, he's attracting more of the ideal clients that he's determined who are the best fit for his business. And this is the kind of groundwork that. In, in the weeds work that most contractors don't do. They just print off a business card and think the work's going to show up. They don't realize how much you have to go on the hunt. You know, it's, you know, you have to go out there and I, you know, it's a, really marketing's like a reconnaissance mission, right? Like it's just who are our ideal clients? What, what marketing's working? What's not? Let's make adjustments. Let's have an after action report on the sales report. What's working? What's not? Let's job cost every project that we do to see which ones are the most profitable. This is the unsexy stuff the average person doesn't want to do. You know, they just want to put the tool belt on, do the same job they did before, but get paid the boss money, you know, and they don't realize. I mean, when I coached high school football, we had a saying, and I said it myself, man, um, we, you know, the guy is the head coach. We always used to go, everyone wants to be the guy until you're the guy, yeah. you know, until you're the one in front of the camera answering for getting rolled by, you know, 60 points that night, you know, and things like that. So there's always a lot more. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I'm always in people's ear about is the moment you go in business for yourself, no matter what it is, you are no longer that thing. You're no longer the carpenter. You are now a business owner and your number one role is to ring the cash register profitably. 
Otherwise, you don't have a business. It's to meet a need and get paid highly for the need. And to get paid highly for the need, you got to bring amazing value and communication and all those other things. And you can't do that if you don't charge enough. See, all these things work together. Because if you don't have profit to invest in your team and hire better people and train them, you can't continue to add more value and raise what you're worth in the marketplace. So everything works together. But it all starts with those three things in our world. Competence and numbers, really what we call selling unafraid putting in the work and the reps, just like the rifle range, you role play as a salesperson. And, um, you know, they, uh, and then you got the, um, the, what we call get eyeballs, which is attracting more of the ideal clients that you want to work with that are a good fit for what you do. All right. So, but let's, you know, I want to break it down when you're, you know, take it to the football analogy. I'm a big football geek. I love football. I watch it. Every game I'll watch, I'll watch. Uh, but when Deion Sanders came to the Cowboys, I mean, came to the 49ers, and Jerry Rice had to school him a little bit. Mm -hmm. He told him, listen, you, you look good, you play good, you get paid good. And I've learned that. So, like, if somebody comes to my house to do work on my house, the first thing I do is look at him, mm -hmm. and then I go outside and look at his vehicle and see what it looks like. I knew like. you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say you go look at the vehicle. When we used, like, guys, hey, we used to hire guys, we used to hire guys, they'd come in for interviews, uh, my business partner would walk outside if I was talking to him and he'd peek in the guy's truck because how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? So if your truck is a shit show, you're probably a shit show. So, so, just, all right. so yeah. talk to us about, you know, private Joe Snuffy gets out of the military or somebody gets out of the military and he's 45, 46, is in the trades or, or wants to get in the trades. You know, and you're seeing some of the things that are going on in the business world right now. What would you tell Joe Snuffy about getting into the trades if he wants to get into the trades? I would tell him to go for it. And here's why. Um, Joe has got some skills that the average person doesn't have. He's faced adversity the average person doesn't hasn't faced certain challenges. He's proven to himself that he can make it through different types of adversity. You know what I'm saying? So there's a confidence level that's there. And listen, I know we all get jacked up and hit from different angles and have our own demons and shit like that. But overall, um, I think if you, if you come and truly approach it, like, um, you know, just mo whatever branch you were in and however your unit was modeled, if you just model your business like that, you know, like, hey, there's a chain of command. There's a mission. There's an objective. There are certain standards to be met. You just take that and bring it over if you're going to start your own business. That's number one. Because like you said, you know, right out of the gate, how, how do you show up every day to the world? And military people, you got, you know, we, we show up, we're pretty squared away as a group, right? You come out of the service, you're still pretty squared away and until you've been out for a few years and you let yourself go, right? So I think... Um, I would encourage them to do that. I would encourage them to seek a community, you know, where they can have that camaraderie. They can, you know, uh, I think the, the successful contracts, successful people in anything, man, they want to share how to help other people. They're not insecure about it, you know? And I remember I, when I first started my first painting business, I had a really hard time. I'd like ask a guy in the paint store who I knew owned a business, you know, hey, how do you handle this situation? He's like, why would I tell you you're a competitor? Like that's, to me, that's an insecure human being, right? Who, who's scarcity minded, where I believe most successful people 
man, they want to bring other people along with them. So I would encourage them to find some sort of a community. Um, I would, they got to invest in themselves in the, in the skills of running a business. Um, and then I just think there's some low hanging fruit, man. If you could communicate, you show up on time, which is kind of a strength of the military, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just like you said, just some of these low hanging, it's, it's ridiculous that I'm sitting here going, if you answer your phone and show up on time, you'll get paid. <laughs> like that's the bar, right? That's number one. If somebody doesn't want to start a business and they want to go and um, work in the trades, um, man, I would go in there and just go, Hey, listen, man, um, you're the, you're the owner. Um, how do I make your life easier? Right. Let's figure that out. And I think that works both ways too, employer to employees and vice versa. But like you go in and go, I want to be the best right-hand man you got. You know, I'm willing to learn and put the reps in, but my goal here is, is to help you accomplish the goals that you have. And if we could do that for each other, we're going to get along just great. You know, some people don't want to be in charge of everything, but they want their own little piece of the world. They want to run a crew and they want it. I mean, we built our painting company, one of our companies years ago where, We'd sell the job and never have to touch it again because our crew leaders, they just took it. They set it up. They closed it out. They did everything in between. They collected the money, got the reviews because we trained them to do that. And I, again, one more strength of the military is, you know what training looks like? Train your people. Train how to knock on the door, how to step back away from the door and step down a step so you're not intimidating the little five foot one woman who opens the door, right? The little thing, where to park the vehicle. You know, role-playing different situations. You know, I, I think when we, employer or employee, when you just approach it, man, I'm going to make somebody's day a little bit better, whether it's the customer, the employee, my boss, whatever. We all approach it that way. The wins come really quick. Well, you know, because I'm thinking, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the whole mentorship thing. Um, you know, like when I had the, the writers of Rich Dad, Poor Dad come on, and I asked him this question because the week before I was playing poker with a billionaire and he owns um, one of the largest um, vacation home properties in the world. And he says, all these people come to me asking me for stuff, but nobody, even like Robert said, nobody comes to me and says, how'd you do it? Mm -hmm. Teach me how to do it. Show me and I'll work for free. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, they are afraid to say like I didn't know anything about podcasting, so I found a mentor, Mr. John Lee Dumas, mm -hmm. and uh, he was he was actually a tank commander that lost a, a tank crew in Iraq mm -hmm. and kind of lost it mentally until he got help. But that's how we connected. And I said, John, I need help. Yep. Will you please help me? I'll I'll pay. Just teach me what you know. And I think a lot of us, you know, we don't want it. We'll invest in a thousand dollar smartphone. But we won't invest in a thousand dollar course to learn something. You know what I mean? I'm laughing because I I have um I, I go off don't listen to my YouTube channel or podcast with little kids in the car if you don't want to hear language. But I um I will rip on contractors left and right. I said you guys will go out and buy the big dually with the mirrors that extend out 18 feet on each side for for 80 or 100 thousand bucks but you won't drop $7,000 for a whole year of coaching within my community, right? Or you won't drop 15 grand on a website that's going to be built properly from, you know, not us, we don't do that, but like that's going to generate 
you know, hundred thousand dollar projects for you every day of the year. You know what I mean? But you'll go buy the truck. You'll go buy the sprayer for 20 grand. You'll go buy a piece of equipment, but you won't invest in yourself. Like you were just talking about there, right? You go buy the phone, but you won't pay a mentor, you know? And last I checked like business school and MBAs and stuff is like, I don't know, hundred grand, you know, and, and we're, and there's, there's other people that do what we do. So listen, I, I'm not as stupid to think I'm the only one teaching this stuff. I just think we do it better and deeper than anybody else. And I believe you got to be your own biggest fan or else why would you have your own business, right? So I'm like, you brought up Dion. Dion's his own biggest fan and, and it serves him well. And, and, and I think, you know, for 19 bucks a day, we're going to give you a business education and, and, a, and a shoulder to lean on and a kick in the ass when needed, you know? instead of going off and learning nothing in business school and having a bunch of debt. But even like when, like we were talking about before we got on air, you know, when you talking about Mr. Tim S. Grover, you know, mm -hmm. even Kobe, he won the title and he's in the gym the next morning. Yeah. At five, four or five o'clock in the morning, putting in the reps because he wants to win the next one. How are we going to do it again? You know, so, so talk to us about having the, the the winning the close the closer mindset yeah like Mr. Grover talks about well I, I think it it's this all right every you know if you're listening to this right now think of a time that you won it could be you won a sale you had a record sales month you you know hit a weight loss goal I don't care what it is okay the difference between I believe the the average people and in our world, we call them FWs, the elite. It stands for F and winners. Okay. It's hashtag FW. It's a whole thing in our community. I believe one of the big differences is how you show up after you win. Most people show up after a record sales month and they go, oh man, we had a record sales month. I'm going to go away for a few days, take some time off. That wasn't planned. You know what I mean? Where the elite goes, okay, I'm supposed to do that back at it Monday morning. Let's go. And what are those repeatable, controllable action steps that I can take every day that got me those wins in the first place? Let's do it again. That was Kobe. And so, you know, if, if you're up and down in your income, your sales, your health or whatever it is, you have to look not just, I mean, dude, I think it's really easy when you're at the bottom to be hungry to win. Like it is for me. I'm hung when I'm at the bottom and I got no other options and I have no comfort and all this other stuff, man, it's really easy for me to be quote motivated, right? Which I think is BS anyway, but how, how are you showing up when you're winning is really the difference maker between the elite and the average, you know, you could talk Kobe and Jordan and Brady and all these guys, you know, they're, they're just, um, you know, I, I'm thinking of some guys I know in the financial services industry that are the top half percent in the world of what they do. And it's because they treat every day the same with the way they choose to show up, no matter what the results were the day before. And, you know, like for one of my friends, who's, he was on the show, his name is Rich, Rich Devaney, Navy SEAL commander, wrote a book called The Attributes. And something that changed my life, he said, if something great happens to you, I want you to celebrate for three minutes. Mm-hmm. That's all you got. Then you got to get back to work. But he said, but if you, if something goes wrong or if you fail at something, I want you to be depressed for three minutes and then move on. Like, I'm going to be so, I'm so excited that we have, I have you on. Um, but then if something happens to me when we lo log off, 
three minutes. That's all I'm allowing myself, and I got to move on. Well, because I think you can't have a long memory, even with six. But I noticed that people that win the Super Bowl almost never go back to Super Bowl the next year. Yep. You know? So, so what you're talking about is you have to you have to be like an NFL cornerback. You get beat deep, you got to have a short memory. You have a pick, you got to have a short memory because it's next play. Let's go. You know, you're out there on an island all by yourself. You don't have the luxury to bask in your last interception two quarters ago. <laughs> you know, and so that whole three minute thing made me think of that because it's true. And and that's something I I also think people that perform at high levels, I know I struggle with this is I don't celebrate enough. You know, like I'm, I'm just, I'm always on to the next thing. Like, okay, we won, we did this, we filled this event, whatever we're supposed to, what's next, you know? And that's actually something this time of my life, I'm trying to like journal and stuff, like have more fun, celebrate more. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's a challenge. Cause I'm, um, you know, I just, I hate losing. I hate losing more than I like winning. Well, James Clear even wrote about that, and you know, in his book, mm-hmm. that you got to stack your wins. Yeah, you know, yep. every I know, I know a lot of people that stack their losses, mm-hmm. but they don't stack their wins. You know what I mean? So I get what you're saying, and sometimes it's hard to celebrate. Like I know it's hard for me to celebrate when I get a message, "Hey, you know, this week you and Tim Ferriss were like five and six, but I'm like, yeah, but Gary V is number one, so I'm not even, I'm not there yet. Yeah, so, you know, but yeah. sometimes people are like, but you should celebrate where you're at. But you're like, yeah, but I don't want to get fat, dumb, and happy. Right. Yep. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. But one of my good friends, uh, Ben Newman, he always talks about don't trip on anything that's behind you. You know, and and uh, I spoke to a group last week <clears throat> and I said, raise your hand if you ever screwed something up in the whole room. We all raised our hand. Right. And I said, raise your hand if you continue to beat yourself up over the screw up and all the hands stay up. And I'm like, that's because you give a shit, right? You care. I said, but it's ridiculous to keep tripping on something that happened back there. You know, you have a choice. Now you talk, you, you brought up James Clear, probably one of my favorite authors. Um, everybody talks about winning the day. Got to win the day, win the day. Um, I believe you got to break it down more than that. You got to win the moments because your day is made up of yeah. moments. And yeah. so, you know, I'm, I'm writing my next book right now called Sell Unafraid. And I'm talking about the importance of winning the moments with, and, and selling more and blah, 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 with more personal discipline. You have to have the discipline those 60, 70 times a day when you have moments of decision, eat the apple or eat the donut, right? Work out, don't work out, call back the pissed customer, don't call them back, make a follow-up call, whatever, role play, this and that. These are all stackable decisions that are going to stack one direction or another, you know, and so hopefully if you got 60 significant decisions in a day that move you towards your goals, hopefully you're like 58 and two and not oh for 60, you know, because you can't win the day. Like I get where people are at, but like winning the day is too big for most people. Yeah. Like what's like, I can't live in the past. Tomorrow's just a fantasy at this point. What's in this moment right now? I need to be here, give all in this moment. And then stack the next one. I love it. So my last question. Well, I actually got two questions. I don't. I, I may be on the right track. I may be totally off, but I feel that you're also a man of faith, and I think you realize that you don't just do this all by yourself. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, so I, I want you to talk about that for one second. Just 
you know, having faith in something bigger than yourself. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I look at the world. I look at the, I look at nature and the universe. I look at how human beings operate and I'm like, there's no way we didn't come from a creator. <laughs> like I just, um, you know, I got some really pe people that are really close to me in life that don't believe. And we have these great conversations all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I could make the case for why, you, you know, like, you know, one of them says, you know, if there is a God, he's doing a pretty crappy job right now, you know, of all the, this in the world. I said, yeah, but whenever there's darkness, there's light there too, you know? So what do you call the light? So without getting crazy on that, like, yeah, I, I grew up, um, both sides of my family, the divorced family had different elements of faith and church. And I grew up around it and youth, youth groups. And I worked in the ministry for a while. Um, I was also hurt a lot in the ministry, you know, and, um, you know, full disclosure, I haven't been in a church for at least six, seven years. You know, um, I still believe in God. Um, I believe in love. I believe in all that. Um, but at this point in my life, I have zero interest in getting back into that routine, you know, for multiple reasons. Um, you know, so I, you know, I don't know much more to say other than I know we ain't here alone, man. And I know I, I believe in a loving God who has our back. I love it. So last question is, how do we find you? How do we support your mission? How do we get your books and listen to your podcast? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. You could go anywhere and type in the contractor fight. And then I'm, uh, you know, if you want to connect with me directly, um, at Real Tom Reber on Instagram. Pretty simple. And I found you, I found you on every social media channel. By the way, so yeah. guys, he's everywhere. So if you have a social media channel, he's on there somewhere. Yeah, some we sure. some we figured out more than others, and it's a work in progress. But yeah, we're out there. So guys, make sure you check him out. He, he's doing some amazing things. I was I was actually on his IG channel for at least five hours a day. <laughs> I was just having fun because he was talking to some of my favorite people, Ed Milet, Tim Ed's Grover, a lot of great people. So, guys, when you're there's a reason why eagles don't fly with pigeons. So make sure that you're checking out his IG. Because if you want, if you want your life to be better, make sure he's in it. Tom, my brother, thank you so much. And I'm so humbled and grateful for your friendship. Grateful, grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. God bless you. All right, brother. All right, guys. Just remember, check him out everywhere. And guys, as you know, I'm a Joel Osteen guy. And he says you can either choose to be the victor or the victim. So guys, make sure you choose to be the victor today. And guys, if you like t-shirts, hats, swag, check out verticalmomentumpodcast.com. Love you guys. Remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is but up. I love you guys. Tom, have an amazing week, brother. You too, man. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. 